Blitz is defined as a sudden, savage attack. It is indeed all this. The effect is sure. The premise is simple. It's a basic, primal confrontation. Man to man. No excuses are offered. None accepted. Welcome to the latest edition of Longhorn Blitz with Horns247.com. Looks like a radio station. Now, here are your hosts. Lifetime Longhorn Rod Babers. Pure athlete, yeah. I transcend race, hombre. Matt Butler. I don't talk <laughs> man. I back it up. And we are sock full of that, man. right. And Jeff Howe. It's still real to me, damn it. <laughs> and that's the bottom line. Because Stone Cold said so. If you're going to blitz, come strong. But don't come at all. Coming strong with another edition of Longhorn Blitz 24-7. I am Jeff Howe. And it is draft week, so we're going to talk NFL draft, but I won't beat you down with predictions and projections. Talk more about how it impacts the Longhorns going forward because you guys in, in these shows we've done, we've, we never really said goodbye to the 2019 season. There were coaching changes and all kinds of different mm-hmm. things happening. So we'll get into the draft uh, as it impacts the Longhorns going forward. And coming up this weekend was supposed to be the spring game. Spring game was supposed to take place on Saturday. Clearly, that's not happening. <laughs> so we'll look at some of the things we would have hoped to have seen had there been a spring game. But without further ado, let me bring in the rest of the team for this adventure. He's the master of the soundboard, the drop machine extraordinaire, Matt Butler. How are you, sir? Doing pretty well, man. Yourself? Wonderful. And the lifetime Longhorn, 2002 UT All-America, 2002 semifinalist for the Jim Thorpe Award. Fourth round draft choice of the New York Giants in 2003. Spent his NFL career with the Giants, Lions, Bears, Bucks, Broncos, and a year with the Hamilton Tiger Cats in the CFL. When he was done with football, he got himself back to Austin. In Texas and the 40 acres where he earned his degree. Whenever he gets that, whenever he gets that team ring back in, we will make sure he wears it proudly. Nevertheless, he is a card-carrying member of DBU, number 21 in your program, number one in your hearts, Mr. Rod Babers. Rod, I got oh, a little. I, my filing system. I got a little sidetrack because yeah, I, I try to get myself uh, together here. So took, my apologies. I took a glance. It's off screen. Took a glance over at Rod. <laughs> yeah, you don't need to see this. So, and Rod being yeah, Papers Babers right now and, and the filing system going on. <laughs> Uh, I don't want to show this to the world. No. So, Rod, I'm sure you've got some NFL draft notes in there. <laughs> oh, that's what I'm getting at. Exactly. See? That's exactly what the notes are. So, yeah. at, this, at this point, uh, I think we can safely assume there are at least going to be three Longhorns drafted this week. Oh, no doubt about it. Devin DuVernay, Brandon Jones, Colin Johnson. The when and where, we obviously don't know. Rod, we got some projections, and this is an article Chip Brown did at Horns 24-7, talking to an NFL scouting director looking at draft projections for the Texas draft hopefuls. Mm-hmm. And see if any of this jives with kind of what you're thinking. Devin Duvernay, fourth or fifth round projection, even though I think lately it seems like that's bumping up a little bit. Yeah, well, I've seen them higher. I've seen them yeah, as the high as the round. second round. So, I mean, it, yeah, I mean it, could, it could go either way, depending on when and how many receiver runs there are in this, this draft, which is historically deep for wide Right, receivers. and then Colin Johnson and Brandon Jones also fourth or fifth round grades. And then, yeah. you know, the two guys at the tail end, Malcolm Roach and Zach Shackelford, it seems like they are firmly in the – We'll just call it the sixth, seventh round slash priority free agent group, yeah. which at the, really, Rod, once you get past the fifth round, I mean, at that point, I know guys want to hear their names called. Yeah. But once you get through the fifth round, are some guys almost hoping, man, I kind of hope I don't get drafted? Because if you're in the priority free agent mix, you probably got three, four, five teams you're talking to that are going to have deals for you right when the draft is over, and you're going to have your pick of who you go to at that point. Yeah, I'm sure the agents at that time are considering that. And for Malcolm Roach, I'm sure there are teams that they probably already, or the agent, whoever his agent is, has already spoken to. So you're right. I mean, if you're talking about the guaranteed money, basically it would almost be very similar. There are some undrafted free agents, if they're priority free agents, that do get guaranteed money. Hell, um, if they're in Beck, demand. Yeah, Andrew Beck got a lot of guaranteed money for the Patriots. I think the most of any of the Patriots undrafted free agents when they brought him in. So, yeah, you can still get some money attached to it. But, yeah, after the, you know, you're in the sixth or the seventh round, that's not a lot of guaranteed money. I mean, the guaranteed money almost cuts in half after the first round. Yeah. That's why Bill Belichick loves second round guys because he's like, oh, second round? You know, that's probably the same amount of talent. The talent pool is not as deep, but it's still a lot of first round talent in the second round because teams miss so much. They miss evaluations, but you get it for half the price. Yeah. And that's where, like, those picks nowadays, like, say maybe 15 years ago, uh, somebody you drafted maybe was overvalued by the organization a bit more strictly because you drafted them, but teams these days not as allegiant to it. But you 
you normally do get at least that first contract a little bit more guaranteed years when you're yeah. drafted than the undrafted free agent. Yeah. So that's the only thing that would make you feel better with long-term stability. If you're looking at the hit rate, though, probably, Rod, I, yeah. I would venture to say it's, six, seventh-round picks are priority free agents. It, it probably evens out just in terms of, of the, the amount of roster fillers you're going to find. You're probably just going to find as many in the sixth or seventh round as you're going to find with signing an undrafted free agent. Uh, I agree. Some teams are just better at it than others. I think the mm-hmm. Seattle Seahawks and the New England Patriots are probably the best at being able to find and develop undrafted free agents. I think, actually, I think Bill Belichick prefers undrafted free agents even over the fifth, sixth, and seventh round picks. And I, maybe it's a mentality thing. Maybe it's because he knows that nobody else is prioritizing those guys. Uh, I think it's 5% of the NFL rosters last year were seventh round picks. Around 8% were sixth round picks. 9.3% fifth round picks. So, I mean, even actually there are more fifth round picks on the rosters last year than, than four round picks but it's i think it was 8.9 percent fourth round picks it's negligible but for the most part first second and third all those are double digit percentages 14 percent of the nfl is first round picks uh 10 is second and third round picks 32 percent of nfl rosters are undrafted free agents and Bill Belichick and, and, and the Seattle Seahawks and there are a lot of teams, they cheap understand labor, that. Man. It, it, they're penny stocks. You I know got the I mean? numbers right here. It's the, be, look, it's the best cheap labor. If you look at the salary caps from where it's dispersed via position, mm-hmm. the two teams at the defensive line that spend 28th and 29th, it's Seahawks 28th, Patriots on the D-line 27th. So those two are in the bottom five and six in payroll allocation. One has Puna Ford. The other one could be one that might be drafting a guy like a Malcolm Roach, but where you get oh, yeah. that lower level, you get high level production, you get a starting D lineman in the NFL, but you're paying at the lowest rate that you can at something like an undrafted free agent or a fifth round or a sixth round. And when both those teams, when you said that, and I had just looked at this last night, it's crazy. I was like, it's exactly what you're saying is looking at there. Where else did the Seahawks rank in the bottom half on defense? Overall defense, 32nd in payroll allocation. DBs, yeah. 29th. Yeah. And that's 20. They find DBs. cheap labor. Hell, Richard Sherman was what a fifth round pick for them. And that's, they find cheap labor. And but Cam they, Chancellor was undrafted. They replace them. So you got D line twenty yeah. eighth, in the secondary. And, so and by the way, uh, Schneider's traded down, I believe, every year out of the first round pick since two thousand twelve. So trading down to get more value. Uh, speaking, I mean, talk about value. The Patriots have had an undrafted rookie free agent make their roster for fifteen consecutive seasons. <laughs> value, baby. Yeah. Value. That's what the draft is about. Don't don't get caught up in the names and the, the forty times and all that. Just think about value. And to so, your point, also when we were talking about uh, just the Patriots, you look at them at twenty seventh on the D line, twenty fourth in linebackers, but all their money spent in the DBs. Secondary, second in corners and sixth in the secondary. So Ooh. front seven though. You have them ranked overall 28th and 24th in the league. That's crazy. Right, I want to get your thoughts on this. Uh, Craig and I had Malcolm Roach on, on Light the Tower on Wednesday. Speaking of value. And D-line. You know, we asked him, said, hey, you know, kind of what are, you, what are your plans this weekend? Because some guys, you know, social distancing right now. You can't really mm-hmm. throw a draft party. Yeah. Um, but he said, you know, he might watch the first round with his brother, might pay attention to it, but he'll really maybe in the day two, he'll take a peek. But day three, he knows that's probably when he really needs to pay attention. And uh, But what's interesting is he said he and his agent, they're already preparing for the worst. So like yeah. you said, it is accurate with him. His agent has already talked to teams like, hey, if you don't get drafted, here's a few options that are going to be on the table for teams that are really interested yeah. in signing you. So, Smart it, move. Yeah. But, Rod, not all guys prepare that way, though. Yeah. A lot of guys don't have that kind of plan. They're you know shocked when they don't get drafted. It's like, well, what were you really expecting to get picked? But I just think it's – it's and, and, and Malcolm Dow is a college coach, so at least he's familiar with that process mm-hmm. too. So, you know, but let's go from this standpoint, Rod. When you look at this, look at these five guys. And Parker Braun, I think, is a guy that – I want to say get into a camp, but we don't know what the OTA structure at this point is going to look like or the rookie mini camps. We don't know what any of that stuff yeah. is going to look like right now. So let's just take these five guys, right? right. Colin Johnson, Devin DuVernay, Brandon Jones, Malcolm Roach, Zach Shackleford. Mm-hmm. How many of these guys do you think, let's even say practice squad guys next year, are all five of them, four or five, three or five? How many of those five guys do you think are at least practice squad players next year? Uh, practice squad or make a make a roster? Yeah. Um, oh, that's good. I think – one, two, three. Oh man, I say three out out of the five. 
make a roster or I want to say I would like to say four because I want to say Malcolm Rose can be on a practice squad for somebody because he's a project and he's so, so athletic overall that somebody's going to bring him on and say, man, I'm going to give him a couple of years to see what he what NFL body his NFL body looks yeah. like. You know what I mean? And his football acumen, they can fall in love with him. So I say three and a half. I'll go three point five. Three and a half. <laughs> I heard uh, your interview with Craig. We were talking five. to Malcolm when I was driving up here and he is sort of as if Malcolm he, uh, talked about manufacturing depth within himself and being asked, you know, like, what position do you want to play on the D-line? And he was like, well, you know, I feel like I'm a guy that can play multiple positions and, and bring value to you. got to have 52-man roster, but I can be somebody that backs up these handful of positions, and that's exactly that niche and role that he can have and be valued so Did he much use higher. that term, value? Did he use the term value? Well, I don't remember the exact oh, words. I would, exact I would love to see I think, he, he, I think he did. I that'd be great if he did, because that would mean that somebody else talking to him, like, man. When I heard it, I was like, about. man, he's been listening to us. Oh, he's or the same way we do. But, uh, you know, this is the guy that played middle linebacker at Texas. He he only did it for one game, but he he played. He's got middle linebacker film. It's unbelievable <laughs> that he ran a four as a four eight. Right for it. At, just two, sort of at, have, it's like, at 297 pounds? Yeah. Good, good. That's crazy. When you somebody, at, somebody in the NFL that loves freaks, he's basically kind of in the freakish realm and also the, the possibility that he can play in multiple positions. I think I think he is going to get drafted late. I think somebody's going to roll the dice on him in the seventh round or something. Like you said, probably won't be to his benefit either yeah. because it won't be a team that can that either that he can't choose because he can choose his situation, but it could be a random team that just likes you know to collect freaks not the team that sit sit circum in terms of circumstance scheme and situation that fit him there. yeah that's that's what i'm saying like uh, and that's i think the point that needs to be driven home with malcolm roach and zach shackleford because i think yeah. shackleford just by virtue of the position he plays right it's it, you need centers to get you through camp you no need question. centers to get you yep. through otas and i'm not knocking zach shackleford's nfl potential but th- that's his foot in the door it's like hey this guy can play center great bring him in because we you know, rare. if you need if you you know one of ours gets hurt you know you need one and you know if they decide that maybe he's a practice squad guy or somebody they would carry. I mean, hey, you're talking about late round pick undrafted free agent. It goes back to the cheap labor conversation we had. But I want to look at how this impacts Texas going forward. And we know they had winter conditioning, but no spring practice. Spring game was supposed to be this weekend. Mm. So the process of replacing these guys, right? Let's start with Devin Duvernay. Because that to me is the easiest one out of all of these. Tom Herman has a plan on how to get Jordan Whittington and Jake Smith to football. Like we talked about on this show. He talked about it on our Texas tailgate chat. Those guys, he's called them ideal fits. I forgot if that was the word he used. I'm paraphrasing here. I'm doing this on the fly. But basically, ideal prototype. That's what he did. I think he did, yeah. Prototype fits for that H position, that slot position, that hybrid position in this pro spread offense. So, Rod, that's probably the easiest kind of plug and play that you've got on this roster when you look at how do you replace Duvernay? Okay. You get Jordan Whittington and Jake Smith involved in the offense. That's exactly how you do that. Yeah. No, that's going to be, to me, you could argue it's going to be the key to the offense this year. It's going to promote versatility. I love Mike Yersage's kind of offensive philosophy. You know, he's going to, I always say, he's going to do the cover version of Tom Herman's Pro Spread. You know what I mean? They're great. They're great songs out there that often can transcend through different decades uh, because people do really good different cover versions. Sometimes you only realize that the, the, the cover version was, you know, was copied from some other uh, artist back in the day. You know what right. I mean? It's like Whitney Houston's uh, I'll Always Love You. You know what I mean? That's like, that's, that's not Whitney, was Whitney's cover version, but it was just that damn good. We're hoping that Mike Yersich's cover version of the pro spread offense will be just that good. We'll forget all about Tom Herman's original pro spread idea uh, because the Yersich interpretation of it will be that good. And I think the key to that is the kid kind of unlocking the creativity will be Jordan Whittington and Jake Smith and how they use those guys. And he said, players, what do you say, players, formations. plays, and formations, those are his three keys. That's what he builds his different concepts around. Well, those two guys can affect the formations and they can affect the plays from down to down. They make you multiple. So I, I think that Tom Herman, there's a reason that he said he's been uh, using that position and weaponizing that position since he got here. Little Jordan Humphrey, then Devin DuVernay. Now he's got the two guys that he has envisioned and visualized to play that position. Probably two of the best in the country if they could do it. You know, I heard Percy Harvin's coming, trying to come back to the NFL. <laughs> this would, basically, these are two Percy Harvins. You got two of them. This is going to sound asinine, what I'm about to say, okay? Considering the year Devin Duvernay had. It's one of the greatest statistical years in the history of this program for a wide receiver. Yep. But are you upgrading at the slot position? I don't know if I'm upgrading, but it could be. Mm. 
that's a great question. So if we're talking about for next year or for just say the How, however, however you want to, however you want to I wouldn't slice say an upgrade, but I like the versatility because you have multiple guys that can switch in and do it. They didn't use Duvernay left though. We well, know there was Duvernay no versatility last year too. Uh, but Duvernay could have. They could have. He could have been, but yeah, and they didn't do it. Enough. But I don't know if that's fair to use against Duvernay as say exactly. No, but that's what. not exactly. That's so not his fault. Will we get more production? We may actually get more production out of it too. See, I'm. I'm with I'm I'm more in line with Matt on this in terms of production. Rod, I think from your standpoint, it's much more of a fault of the staff now. Now that you're saying these guys are prototype guys, is exactly what you want at the age. Now there is no excuse for what you're talking about, which is that uh, did you as good as Duvernay was, did you get enough out of him? Did you did you exhaust every way to get him the football? There's no excuse for that now. You can't you can't sit can't here. We, we can't sit here and, and I, maybe at this time next year we're playing games. I don't know. But when, whenever with the coming season, whenever it happens, whenever it ends, it, it would be uh, almost malpractice on the part of, of the offensive staff yep. if we're sitting around saying, man, I wish they would have got Jake Smith more involved in this way. I wish they would have done. They should have done more Jordan Whittington this way. Now, granted, injuries could change that and circumstances could change that. But I, with what you're saying, I, I think now – you basically alleviate that safety net. There is no safety net for failure now. You've got these two guys. Go do what you do. Man, uh, that's, that's a great question about the upgrade. Um, yeah, it's just because it's there. It, it's I don't know if I can answer the question. I guess this is a cop out, but they're just more ideal for the position probably than Duvernay or Lil Jordan Humphrey. Even though we all agree, Lil Jordan Humphrey and Devin Duvernay were underutilized. Yes. they probably could have used those guys in different ways and more creative ways. They didn't do it enough, but he'll be able to better weaponize Jake Smith and Jordan Whittington because these are his. You know, I mean, these are the prototypes that he's always visualized. Right. He's envisioned yeah. for his offense. Positions always got the production in his offense, but yeah. when you look at this, the situation may be best for them, being that they're a fit, and then the offense may not funnel down in becoming because not only was Duvernay your best option, but he had the best chemistry with your quarterback, and then was the most trusted. So a lot of stuff was not necessarily forced for a wrong reason. It was yeah. because it was the best play, but the top side of the offense was limited because you basically didn't weaponize all aspects aspects of the offense and it basically got the idea of a switch in the NBA and you can simplify the Warriors down to Durant in a one-on-one situation if you get the switch mm-hmm. and be like okay well you'll take away everything that was the great offense that was the Warriors because you know this is a better one-on-one and we can become reliant upon it and then at times it can actually limit your creativity and make you not be as good of an overall team as a unit of five or eleven yeah. and that's sort of the situation where it's always that constant battle of well you want to funnel it to your guys you want to make sure that you're you know not tell Sam to like spread the ball around for no reason other than well if Duvernay's open it's open but it's going to be easier to defend the other part of that offense Rob when you look at these five guys and replacing them I think the other one that's easy to go to is center with Derek Hurst that are taking over for Zach Shackelford and again it's no knock on Shackelford that was two-time first team all big 12 guy but I don't I don't know that you'll miss his leadership. I think is really what you'll miss from Zach Shackle for like a senior center, yeah. four year starter. Mm-hmm. That intangible stuff it, you 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 don't replace that. Rod, you you've been on teams. You don't like not to compare him you know, vis-a-vis to this guy, but like the intangible stuff. You don't replace that when you lose a Casey Hampton no. or, or an Aaron Humphrey and the know, acquired or skill like that. being that long. Or, yeah, or or yeah. your your group on the back end. Like you had guys. I'll, I'll tell you a good comparison for Zach Shackelford. I'll give you this. And, Rod, this is related to Weck when you played. Like, physically, you had guys that could bring to the table more than what Ahmad Brooks brought, right? They were more yeah. physically gifted. But that intangible stuff that Brooks brought to the table of why Coach Aquino liked him so much at, sorry, Brooks, 5'8", or whatever Brooks is, 5'7", mm-hmm. whatever he is, that intangible stuff, you just you weren't going to replace that. No, I agree. I mean, that's certain guys that, um, in terms of the chemistry with the team, they – you know, they provide balance, you know what I mean? Whether it be the they're policing in the locker room or whether they're just, uh, they're the comedians on the team. I mean, I can't tell you, every guy's got their own personality, right. but it's very, very unique when, you know, you get one of those guys who's also a leader and, and they that presence is something you can't really quantify. Uh, and yeah, you don't really replace it, but you know, you got guys who've learned uh, as, you know, as much as they can from those guys like me. I mean, I learned as much as I could from Brooks and learned a ton from Casey Hampton. You replace, replace Casey 
Casey Hampton, but I learned a ton from his leadership style, uh, the leadership style of guys like D.D. Lewis. I mean, I can name some great leaders. And Kwame Kaville was a great leader uh, for us. And, yeah, you don't replace that. But hopefully the younger guys are watching, they're learning, and they figure out, all right, these are the, the things. These are the ways that I can lead in different situations, um, and this is how I need to lead and set the example. So that's kind of what I did. I mean, I, I, I'm sure I left off some great leaders, too. But. no. The yeah. point is, uh, and you led me to where I wanted yeah. to go with So that. I can be like that for the Casey Stutters and the VYs and yeah. the Huff Daddies and the Cedric Griffins. You know what while, I mean? while Derek Kerstetter, I think, is in terms of uh, skill set, in terms of physical talent, I actually think is an upgrade over Shackelford. Uh, you hope some of that leadership, st- leadership stuff rubbed off on him. Mm-hmm. And that he. This is Smith off of Duvernay. Like, yeah. Same idea. But, but I think with that offensive line, though, at that position at Agreed. center, man, you, you've got to. You, you got to be that they just dude. Align. I mean, you've got to be. We've heard we've heard Casey Hampton or Casey Hampton, Casey Studdard, and, and Justin Blaylock talk over the years. Like, yeah, they were talented, but you know, Lyle Sinline was the glue that held that group together. Yeah, exactly. Front. And you never know. Yeah, yeah exactly. And yeah, like, I mean, you know, we we saw even go back to yeah. you know, go back to Charlie's first year. Like, I think we thought that offense would be okay, but even losing David Ashley, well, okay, that's bad. But man, when they lost Dom Espinosa, it's like, man, it's, it's just. You just hit the reset button on this thing, like, yeah. mm-hmm. you're, like your offensive line is just like you lose. You don't replace the stuff that a multiple year starter at center. Like that's just it's hard to replace. Well, that. because like I said, the chemistry is so delicate. You know, what I mean, like you said, you remove any of those, you know, any of those elements from that that you know whatever that chemical compound mm-hmm. is, and it's a different <laughs> chemical altogether. Yeah. And the same thing with the chemistry in that locker room. You remove one guy, and I know it's fragile. You're like, oh man, what do you mean a Brooks? You look at Brooks. He wasn't that talented. You can replace one of those younger guys, put him in there, and it'll be good. It's like, no, not a young Huff daddy is different from a you know the Huff daddy his junior year. You yeah. know what I mean? It's a different. And even though yeah, he doesn't have the talent, but the experience. And the presence, like all those things, all those things matter once you're a veteran guy and you're embracing that leadership. I mean, Brooks is a guy that had been through it. He had been benched mm-hmm. at one position, lost his job, then went to another position where they tried to throw him away and then ended up impressing the new coach enough where he's like, I got to start this guy. When they didn't really want to start him. Wasn't you know he I mean? the nothing, guy nothing, he recruited? You know what I mean? And so, yeah. So it was one of those things where he – I remember his presence. D.D. Lewis was another guy like that. So I'm with you. It's it's very – like you said, that offense, an offensive line more than any other position group, we all agree they have to work in cohesion. You know what I mean? Continuity is more important yeah. for that group than any other. Continuity, yeah. chemistry, whatever word you want to put on it. It's more important on. for that group than any other group on the roster. Yeah, by far. Yeah. Uh, and they don't have an offseason. It's basically half your offense. They don't have an offseason to brew it. No. Yeah. Yeah. Which is why, I mean, at well, least at least you've got – which is why I think probably the move is get Junior Angel out of left guard. That way you at least go from left tackle to center with guys that have played together. Yeah. Right, with Cosme, Aguilar, and, and Derek Kerstetter. Um, going over to defense, Rod, and, and Malcolm brought this up. Matt, you said you listened to the interview, so I don't know if you caught this part, but mm-hmm. I didn't – I know he you know had the comments about playing in the Todd Orlando defense and the 4-I and the things he was asked to do. Uh, we didn't get into that kind of nitty gritty of it, but I just asked him what he felt the scheme change was going to do to the current defensive lineman on campus, and he thinks it's it's going to unlock him. And the the three guys that he mentioned, oh, Taquan Graham, Keandre yep. Coburn, Marquez Bimage, because and I trust Malcolm Roach. I don't, you know, I know he's not probably not going to give you you know anything that he doesn't want out there in terms of what he says for a quote, but a guy that conceptually understands football has been around the game his whole life, so I'll trust him when he's talking about yep. personnel Son, and scheme. He doesn't BS football. But he, he said can't the, BS that. But he said the reason why he likes those three guys, he's like, not only are those guys really good guy, good, good rushers and disruptors who can get up the field, he's like, they're all three high-motor guys. He's like, and if you put those guys in the right shade and just let them go be disruptive, he's like, the production's going to be infinitely better than it was when guys are just having to catch blocks and read things and do things that they were doing. In that three-man front, so Rod, I mean, I, they're again kind of like with the offensive line. That intangible stuff with Malcolm Roach, it's up to Keandre Coburn and Joseph Osai and Taquan Graham to yeah. to bring up that leadership. But I think just with the numbers you got, with the scheme change, with the, with the talent that we think is there, I tend to think that D line is going to be all right. No, I think D line could end up becoming a strength because essentially, I mean, in the equation now with the was the Jack position, yeah. the Jack. Don't you add Joseph Asai essentially to the front in that hybrid role of the Jack? You're basically depending yeah. on well, he's basically added to the front four, but depending on the situation, uh, I even heard uh, Chris Ash talking. He said he's going to be in coverage less. I mean, yeah, mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. he's going to be in coverage less. Like, I yeah, like I like that. I like that. He'll be, he's going to be. Uh, it means he's going to be run stuffing and pass rushing. So I'm with you, man. With Keandre Coburn, who I love, to Corn Graham, who. Last 
last year I thought actually had a really, really solid a solid year, like on the down low, really. Mm-hmm. People didn't give him a lot of props for it. And then you start talking about some of the other guys. You got Tavondre Sweat and Moro Ojimo. You Some guys you really forget about in terms of the depth on that. And Roach those. said all those names. He like yeah. literally went through those exact ones. But he's a coach. Talked about. Yeah, he knows what he's Young about. guys like Myra Warren and Daniel Carson, we haven't even seen yet. talked about yet. <laughs> yeah. No, I think that, that defensive line is going to be a, a strength. And I'm not worried about that group, really. Even though Malcolm Roach, I, I don't think it's easy to replace guys like Malcolm Roach because he's one of those guys. Like I, I think there are a ton of guys who are probably better, maybe not a ton of guys, I take that back. Maybe a couple of guys who are now like better overall linemen right now than Malcolm Roach if you just evaluate him as a defensive lineman. But the fact that he can play multiple positions, the fact that he's been through so much as a player considering mm-hmm. all the regime changes and the coaching changes, yeah, I mean, I, it's going to be hard to replace his presence. Goes now. back to that intangible stuff. Like right now, in the room we're sitting in, if Taquan Graham and Malcolm Roach walk through that door, Together, and I said, Rod, pick me out a defensive lineman to start your day. You're picking Taquan Graham six days a week and twice on Sunday. Exactly. That's what I'm saying. And it's just, but he's, and he's willing. He's so coachable. Yeah. They told him what he needed to do at the combine. He's like, man, you need to gain some weight. We don't know what you're going to be. He's like, oh, they're looking at you as maybe a, uh, undersized interior D line. He was like, "Okay, I can do that. Yeah. I'll be two nine two ninety seven and run a four eighty four. That's what y'all want me to be. He'll be whatever you want him to be. Just yeah. tell him what you want him to be, and he will kind of mold himself to become that. It's really, really interesting. Well, and I mean, even now we've seen more and more of them be the case. But Texas sort of has a handful of guys. Like I always think of Lamar Houston was the guy that yeah, reminded me of Malcolm and just the way that he was able to be malleable to the situation yeah. and fit the defense we want. But since then, it's made me just realized the NFL valuing and how they have used different guys that we've seen from your same machos to your Ultra fours to the, and there's a handful of them that play anywhere from like at a different team. One will be outside linebacker, but then he will play D line as a backup. And it's the same idea with Roach, but there's actually a handful of them that we've seen Texas acquire. And it's, I think sort of just goes back to the idea that the finding value at Texas and knowing that they're good athletes and knowing that maybe they weren't put in the best situation, but then they still have the tape and it's like, well, you know, we know that this piece can help here or here and it's worth at least inviting into the camp to see which ones fits. I mean, that's how it takes back to the O-line conversation, but how Lyle Sinline ended up playing in a Super Bowl within like a couple years of leaving Texas and being able to just be there and fill up as a practice squad guy, but one injury, one week, and he was a decade for being the center for the Cardinals. I think San Francisco 49ers used two centers this year, multiple centers. (laughs) There you go. You know, staying on the defense, Rob, when you look at replacing guys, replacing Brandon Jones, like, and it's, it bears repeating, like, all five of the guys that have a chance to get drafted, they're all, they were all captains, all yeah. leadership council guys. Yeah. So the intangible stuff, they're going to check a lot of that boxes in the interview process. They no should have checked a lot of boxes in that interview process. All right, it's time for our first break on this week's show. You're listening to Longhorn Blitz with Horns 24-7. Welcome back to Longhorn Blitz with Horns 247.com. Here again is Jeff Howe. But, Roger, you talk about replacing Brandon Jones, and we talk about depth at positions. And think about this with the safety room, right? You lose Brandon Jones. Mm-hmm. Uh, DeMarvion Overshone's already moved the linebacker. Mm-hmm. We're pretty sure Tyler Owens is at least going to get a look there at some point, mm-hmm. depending on what happens when everything gets back to normal. Uh, Chris Adamore going to the nickel. So, wow, you, that's, that's three or four bodies, right? Yep. Still got Caden Stearns. Yeah. You still got Chris Brown. You're going to get B.J. Foster back from shoulder surgery. Montrell has still got some experience last year. And the two young kids, Xavier Alford and Jaron Thompson, I think they actually fit the safety mold that Chris Ash wants in his defense going forward. That's one position I think in recruiting you're going to see take a shift where Todd Orlando liked the bigger safeties, Mm -hmm. guys that were 6'2", could get up to like 215, 220. I think Chris Ash would rather have a guy who's 5'11", 6 foot, that can play at like 195, 200, 205. Yeah, Uh, Brown types. I think when you look back at Ohio State, I think probably like what Von Bell was at Ohio State. Mm-hmm. I think I think if Chris Ash every cycle could recruit him like two or three Von Bells, wouldn't that be nice? Two or three Von Bells <laughs> at safety. I, I think I think that's what he would do. Yeah, no, I'm pretty in the Big Twelve. That ma- that matches up actually too. All right, so if we're talking about the guys that are toughest to replace, right? We've already talked about uh, replacing Zach Shackelford, Devin Duvernay, Malcolm, Malcolm Roach, Brandon Jones. I think the, those transitions, just from a pure football standpoint, it's not going to be that difficult. The difficult one. And depending on what the offense looks like, we're, we're expecting a more expanded route tree. Mm-hmm. And the difficult one is Colin Johnson because you just don't get a guy 6'6 that has those kind of high point ball skills 
he's a unicorn in that sense. Like you just don't find those guys every year. They don't come into your program. So that X receiver position, it's not a situation where, okay, like I don't want to go down this road again, Rod, because I don't need us going at each other's throats. We got to keep social distance anyway. <laughs> like it's not like you're going to take Malcolm Epps and put him at X receiver. Like, well, he's six seven and I point the ball. Let's just have him replace Colin Johnson. No, you're going to make that position a little bit different if you move Brennan Eagles over there yeah. or if you work Marcus Washington there. You're just going to make, and probably you're not replacing Colin Johnson with a player per se. You're replacing him with a body that can work well with an expanded route tree. Yeah, I assumed at the point of the position, it ends up being a big tall guy because they want someone that can win one-on-ones on the outside and that find that, that person can find a way to can have gravity, right? You want to be able to uh, have gravity where you can attract other defenders towards mm, you. Right. That's what Colin Johnson had a lot of. He had Great gravity, even when he wasn't necessarily getting the, the getting uh, the target, or he wasn't necessarily the focal point of the play. Still, he would attract defenders in his vicinity because everybody knows at six six, if the ball is at a, if the ball is placed in the right spot, and that defensive back and 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 Colin Johnson are even. It's Colin Johnson's advantage. That that's a, that fifty fifty just turned into a seventy thirty. Yeah. Just right there. You know what I mean? That's how dangerous he is. So Brennan Eagles would have to do it another way. Duvernay could do it with his speed and different things. Duvernay's just a freak. But you've got to have a different way of doing it. So you know, I think Brennan Eagles is a speed guy. I've not seen him being able to kind of debo people for the football. Yeah. I don't know if that's his strength. But maybe it is. We just haven't seen him do that with a with a more complex route trip. I like Brennan Eagles flash like the way Flash on the and taking the arc, I should say, that you want a young playmaker receiver to take. Like the consistency's not there, but there's enough of the, oh wow, he just did that. Like he just went over the top of Christian Fulton for a ball and took it to the house. Like, or the the couple catches he made in the Iowa State game. It's like, wow, okay, he can do that. And you're not gonna get that every play, but at least Rod, he's he's on that kind of arc where you're like, okay. He can stretch the field. I see it. Now can he just go put it together? And that's where like the second half of the year, it seemed when you talked about those examples, that was the time whenever there were a few times where he actually stood out against the opponent and you saw him flashing downfield, which was something that you never saw prior to that. Even like it needed to be schemed open for him to be open. He was the guy on the backside of the play getting the one on one and being able to so like those are advantageous situations that he hadn't been winning for the first year, year and a half. But then by the end of the year, or maybe against inferior opponents, he's able to do that. And if you're at Texas, that's the baseline you need to have. If you're going to be on the field, you need to beat people. If you're in that one-on-one, if you feel like you have anything to par or you're better than they are. Iowa State's the game, Matt. I think that, mm-hmm. you know, when you talk about that stretch he had late, you know, LSU and Oklahoma State were early, but that Iowa State game, right, where he, he makes that touchdown catch right before the half, mm-hmm. and it's like, it's like, oh, wow, that was a great effort, but it's out of bounds. And you watch the replay, oh, no, oh, no he's, he scored. Yeah. Yeah. He's in. That's a Colin Johnson type thing because that was like the ballerina footwork that you see from a 6'6", gangly guy like a guy like Colin Johnson. Those are those skills that what made him step out when we were a freshman. You're like, oh, we haven't had a guy like that. And then because of just circumstances, situations, changes, it wasn't fully maximized. So then now when you're left with somebody that's lesser of those, say, length or the pedigree or like just jump off the page or yeah. jump off the screen insane footwork along on the sideline. It's like you haven't even got those opportunities yet for a guy like Eagles because you've had people ahead of him that are actually quality. So that's a good time where he has that opportunity now to see if he is one of those guys or if he just goes around with the pack. Yeah, and, you know, Marcus Washington's a guy that I keep hearing so much about behind the scenes. Like anybody yeah. – Anybody you talk to, they gush about Marcus oh, that's Washington. Good. That's good. They need somebody. Yeah, they're going to need somebody to step up. We just don't know who it is at wide receiver. At that and, outside receiver. Yeah. <laughs> like, when you talk about Marcus Washington, like, if, if we talked about this on this podcast, we might have talked about it last week. I don't remember, but, like, the Texas – yeah, we did. We talked about the Texas Tech game. Yeah. When we talk about it, Matt? Mm-hmm. Yeah. When, Marcus uh, Washington. I said audibly in the press box, like, wow. John Burt's been getting those reps all year, huh? <laughs> no disrespect well, to John Burt. But. but that's where you want to have your Yursich's offense this year because we've actually seen Herman gets production out of the passing game, but it's funneled through the same position. And H- we have not seen outside receivers be successful at Texas 
in the Tom Herman era, well, even a lesser version of Duvernay was that guy. Well, so now maybe if you have the new. It's because the routes are so predictable mm-hmm, exactly. on the outside. The only variation they do have in the route tree comes from the H position. Now it's yep. not from the slot, so there's a lot more space that's created naturally from the alignment. Mm-hmm. But, man, you got I mean, well, we talked about it over and over again. You can expect there are three or four routes they're running on yep. the outside consistently, and they don't run anything else really other than that. So I think with your he'll come up with more creative route concepts to force the DBs to have to defend more routes. Therefore, ironically, you're going to open up the same base routes, the, the curl, the hitch, and the slant. All of that will come open because now I do have to defend the six route. I got to defend the post corner. Oh, I do have to defend the post route. They run a, a variety of different things yeah. on the outside. I tell you right now, it's like four routes you got to defend on the outside. Well, and that's, it's like four. As a DB, I'm like, I can check him off the list for you. Boom, boom, boom. You know and I mean? you said it perfectly. They're talking about the creativity needed within the offense to get those routes open because whenever you talk to, say, probably Herman, I would guess he say, well, those guys are in roles trying to spread the defense and yeah. stretch the gravity. But it's like, yes, but if you're that predictable within it, there are only a few possibilities within those three or four variations. So that's where a new mind being creative, being yeah. able to use the same type of pieces, but in other ways to still stretch the defense not only physically but mentally on where they should be and then that that can actually be the gravity you speak of because of the confusion that your offense can cause. Here's what I liked about the pro spread offense and it was what I still like about it Rod in terms of receiver position. For so long and I use this example that a guy and I'll retell the story so if if you've heard me tell it before just fast forward about 15 seconds. Or listen again. Or listen again. Thank you Matt. (laughs) Talk to a guy guy on Mac Brown's staff that told me the problem they had in wide receiver recruiting kind of post-national championship is they got so obsessed trying to find the next Lima Swede that all they ended up with was a bunch of tall guys who could run that weren't really good. Yeah, mm-hmm. Lacking original thought. Yeah. If you're trying to find somebody to replace the next guy, it's why the NBA looked for the next MJ and there's never going to be one right. for a decade. Like, it's impossible to do that. And, you know, we saw Texas. It wasn't the problem that they couldn't recruit talent. Look at the recruiting rankings. Like, there's a reason, like, Texas has top 10 class or top 10 class in the Mac yeah. round, even when things weren't going well. Hell, the 2012 class that was got a really high bust rate that we were talking about, I think it's like 38% bust rate. Like, they were the number two class in the country. Maybe that was the 10 class. I don't remember. But anyway, the problem was you're mm-hmm. acquiring this talent, but you have no clue on how to build a team because your offense changes year to year. Yeah. And when you're changing coordinators and you're changing philosophy, the parts might not fit the system. No. Nope. What the pro spread has done is it's given Tom Herman an offense to say, no, this is what I want in my X receiver. And I want my Z receiver to profile kind of like this. And I want the H to look kind of like this. So now you're recruiting to an offense where you say, okay, these guys, the parts are going to fit the role. Like you're not putting square pegs in a round hole. You And then we talked about how adaptable they've been with that H position. But the point is like, okay, if I know what I'm, if I know how this position needs to function in this offense, I know what I need to go get in recruiting. Yeah. It makes the recruiting process much more streamlined. Agreed. You're not just acquiring talent. At that point, you're building a team. With that said, to your point about Mike Yersich, Rod, now it's time to take that blueprint, that framework, and say, okay, this is what it's been. This is a good plan. You've done well with this. But now everybody knows. Now you got to evolve it. Yeah. yeah no, I totally agree. The tape's there already. So, like, if you have those compartmentalized roles and positions and you've been public about that, right. you're basically yeah. just giving the blueprint to the opponent that then can quickly be able to uh, do what they want to defend you. That's where the new mind, new ideas with the same pieces can be something where get inventive, get creative. Don't just try to duplicate something. I think Tom Herman, he, I think he's strange. He needs, not strange, just unique. He needs a muse. He needs something to inspire him. He needs a player usually to inspire him. That's what the age position I think works well with him because it changes from year to year and he can kind of adapt the the role to the player that's you know that he's using in that position, right? Low Jordan Humphrey, the ace looked a little bit different than it did Strength, with yeah. Duvernay. Duvernay, what sixty percent of his targets within five yards of the line of scrimmage. Low Jordan Humphrey went downfield a little bit more, right? And now I think it's going to look a little bit different. But now it'll be Yursich, the one interpreting it. And I think Tom Herman, part of the weakness there is if you if you need a muse, you need a player to inspire you to uh, change the offense. I think Greg Davis had some of that in him. Greg Davis was brilliant at that. Like he would look at a quarterback and go, okay. Uh, I'm going to build this offense around you. He would be inspired by that. And I think you want some of that, but you don't want to be uh, disabled by it, essentially. And I think for Tom Herman, he was almost disabled by it. He needed him. That's why he was so excited about Jordan Whittington. Think about how much he pumped up Jordan Whittington. He's like, dude, we never seen – I haven't seen him on a football field in college. I mean, yeah. yes, great for – in high school, he was Spring unbelievable. It. But they, they talked about, like, he already was first team all Big 12. You're like, man, yeah. that's a lot of hype. 
And it was more hype than Jake Smith or anybody it else. It was like that spring game with Yeah, him. the reason he was so hyped is because he was so excited about being creative. It was inspiring creativity because he was watching going, we can do this. Oh, we can run 21 personnel, turn it into 10 personnel. You know what I mean? And he's talking about, he even talked about that when you guys had him on your mm-hmm. virtual chat. So I think he's one of those types of offensive minds. I think Yurisic is different. I think Yurisic is really good at taking someone else's concept, taking someone else's song, essentially, and making a very good cover version of it. He did it with Gundy, uh, and I think even with, that's why he works really well with others. He doesn't have any pride about running his own offense. I think it's going to help. Now, on the outside for Tom Herman, though, I think Yurisic's style will work better because he's he doesn't need a player to build it around. He'll just build in productivity and build in concepts for different players. I think it'll help him out. Yeah, and I think I think there was too much be careful how I say this. I think there was too much Greg Davis influence in the offense last year just in terms of what's that mindset Greg Davis had, Rod, where we you talk about the quarterback, but especially early on in his tenure, kind of reminded the, the offense the last two years really reminded me of Greg Davis like pretty much that era between Ricky Williams and Vince Young yeah. when you were on campus, right? Like, okay, I've got all this talent. I'm just going to go out and talent you, right? It doesn't matter what I do. I'm just going to do it better than anybody you've seen else. do it. And I've got NFL talent at pretty much every position group, so we're just going to go beat your brains in that way. Yeah. But the evolution needed to come because when you ran up against an Oklahoma or a Colorado who's on a hot streak mm-hmm. or an Oregon who was really good, now it becomes a case of, okay, the talent equals out. What's our advantage? Yeah. And for so long, Greg Davis had no advantage. They had, they had no counterpunch. And how many times the TCU game is a perfect example. Rod, like, okay, they're sitting on a route concept. So Gary Patterson's not a dummy. Yeah. Like, he watches film. He knows what you're doing. Mm-hmm. What's your counterpunch? We saw they ran one slot fade, never really went back to it. Like, they didn't, there wasn't enough of a counterpunch. I think Yursich, based on, based on what you're saying, looking at his background, the counterpunch is kind of what he's always thinking about, mm-hmm. trying to stay one step that's ahead. Exactly right. And it's not that there's a right way or a wrong way to do it, but that's why I keep going back to this. For what Tom Herman needed in an offensive coordinator, I don't think he could have hired a better guy than Mike Yersich. And then you even look at the offense and brought up those games last year when Texas ended up struggling. Now it came down at times to where you tried to just outpower or out physical and be that type of team. And if that actually goes wrong, it isn't like scheme where like, okay, well, this scheme isn't working. We can use this other inventive idea. If you're trying to build a principle and then become reliant on, okay, but see, we got to this point program wise, but then you haven't assessed your talent as well, or you actually can't go out and do what you think, then what are you left with? You're left with much at all. and you end up struggling the way Texas struggled in those yep. situations. So that's why it's great to have a guy like Yurisich or somebody else that can be a checks and balances on not only philosophy, but also in-game to see what's working and what isn't working. Seems like Yurisich is a better self-scouter. There you uh, go. That's the same idea. That, that, yeah, it, it, you know, because our problem with Tom Herman often was, listen, everybody can come up with a bad game plan. I can come up with, you know, a bad show, and I, I thought it was going to be a great show the way I planned it out. Turns out that's not a hot topic. People don't like it. It's not interesting. And I got to pivot. And Step, I got to freestyle. And I got to go to something else. And you got to assume uh, at times, like, okay, plan A is not going to work. Let's assume, and I don't know if they sit down in the meetings enough and go, all right, guys, we came up with a great game plan. That's an awesome game plan. What if it doesn't effing work? And that doesn't mean you're lacking confidence. No, no, no. It's, it's just smart what if it doesn't effing work? What are we going to do? What's the adjustment? And why wouldn't it work? What would they do with their personnel that would cause our game plan to be obsolete? Yep. And then how do we pivot? Where do we pivot? That should be a separate file that we go to the WTF file. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know what I mean? What the file? All right. You know what? Go get it. We've done that. I remember yeah. game plans where Lily called Boris and go, all right, game plan, it's out. Okay, scrub it up, throw it out, and we go, we're going man-to-man across the board. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah. oh, well, hell, you just got to simplify. But, you know, I mean, it just it depends on – you don't know. They got really good coaches over there, too, being paid good mm-hmm. money. So you never know. They're going to come up with a great game plan, and maybe they find that weakness that you didn't even know you had, and you go, oh, damn, we're weak there. And they figured it out, and you got to – you, you should be self-scouting and knowing what those weaknesses are 
before they explode. And all, well, all that, that your switch can complement the situation. And then just the additional set of eyes than you had, say, last year, that even though Beck was with Herman, it was sort of them two within the same frame of one offense to where just having two set of eyes or another set of offensive yep. eyes can just add value to see things that you just can't blame a head coach from not being able to see if you're having to take on too many responsibilities. Counterintelligence. Yep. That, that to me was the frustrating thing of last year. I thought that's what Larry Fedora was supposed to do, was help self-scout. That's what the analyst roles are for. a lot of those analysts. I don't know what Texas Texas was not a good – and I don't want to dump on 2019 too much but because we've been down that well and Mm -hmm. beaten that horse to death. But it goes back to, like, what we talked about. Like, did you waste the offseason? And I I think, Rod, to their credit, I don't think Texas is wasting this offseason. Even, you know, right now where at least the playing field is a level like nobody can meet on their campus or whatever. But, you know, in the virtual meetings, like, that's all Mike Yershitz can do right now is self-scout. Yeah. He has literally nothing else to do. Yeah. No, I agree. It can only <laughs> be good. At, hopefully we're right, and that's where we were really deficient last year because it could really – coronavirus is the perfect thing to go and counter that. Yeah. No, his uh, <laughs> the word on the street is, is that he is a film junkie. I know a lot of they, people throw that around. Like, oh, man, he's a film rat. Like, no, nah, this guy loves to get into a deep, dark hole yeah. for a few hours and just go down – just go like rabbit hole. Like Brandon Jones, it you sounds like. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, but... just go rabbit hole. And so hopefully that is the case. Because I think Tom Herman needs a few of those guys, you know what I mean? Those yeah. rabbit hole guys. And those are the guys that will find that little thread, that little tiny thread that some team could pull on and uh, the whole damn three, the whole damn thing unravels. Um, he, he was the guy, he's the guy that'll find well, that was, You know what, man? They, you know if they do this consistently. If they, you know if they're running twists, we're, gonna, we're screwed. Somebody mm-hmm. should have found that. You know what I mean? It, it happened early in that West Virginia game. Where everybody was like, damn, West Virginia running them twists against Texas. They're running them pretty damn good. And then Oklahoma. And we seen it in LSU a little bit in LSU. It was like a few times LSU did it. And we are like, damn, Texas didn't pick that up. Oh, well. Then happened in West Virginia. We were like, um, continuing. Right, well, okay, so it might be a trend here. And then Oklahoma was like, no, they cannot block <laughs> the twist, <laughs> the stunts. They cannot. Let's do it over and over and over again until they stop it. And somebody at Texas should have known that. Yeah. And they should have had that ready to go. And they did not have that. It just They were surprised by it. And it's like, well, it's, it's been on film. We've yeah. talked about it on the Long Run Biz podcast a couple of times. It's on film. Yeah. So I don't don't act like you ain't seen it because I seen it. Well, and then when you ever have that just go and hit it, it's almost like the uh, offensive coordinator's mentality that, no, wait, they aren't stopping it. Just go and do it every single well, day. Like, like, we're not executing. It's like, well, okay. But well, don't assume you're going to start executing. Assume the worst that you, it'll, you'll never fix it. And then now schematically put in, you know I mean, put in ways to fix it. One last break on the show, and we will wrap this thing up and put it in the oven when we come back and close out another edition of Longhorn Blitz with Horns 24-7. Asthma symptoms can attack anywhere, like on a city street. (coughs) Now you can get fast relief anywhere with new improved Primatine Mist, the only FDA-approved asthma inhaler available over the counter. So whether you need relief of symptoms at the park or at your kitchen table, Primatine Mist starts working quickly, opening up your airways to restore free breathing. For temporary relief of mild symptoms of intermittent asthma, use Primatine Mist and breathe easy again. Available at CVS, Rite Aid, and Walgreens. Use as directed. A social distancing tip. While the CDC urges you to avoid close contact, like hugging or shaking hands, there are other non-physical ways to say hello. Wave, wink, use sign language, salute, smile, give the peace sign, throw up an air high five, do jazz hands. Remember, stay a minimum of six feet or two arms length away from others and stay home if you can. For more info, visit coronavirus.gov. Let's all do our part because we're all hashtag alone together. Brought to you by the Ad Council. Asthma symptoms can attack anywhere, like on a city street. <coughs> now you can get fast relief anywhere with new improved Primatine Mist, the only FDA-approved asthma inhaler available over the counter. So whether you need relief of symptoms at the park or at your kitchen table, Primatine Mist starts working quickly, opening up your airways to restore free breathing. For temporary relief of mild symptoms of intermittent asthma, use Primatine Mist and breathe easy again. Available at CVS, Rite Aid, and Walgreens. Use as directed. A social distancing tip. Putting distance between yourself and others is critical to slowing the spread of coronavirus. So here are ways to stay in contact without the physical contact part. Call, send a text, set up a video conference, post on social media, dedicate a song on the radio. If you have symptoms of fever, dry cough, and shortness of breath, call your health care provider before going to their office. For more info, visit coronavirus.gov. Let's all do our part, because we're all hashtag alone together. Brought to you by the Ad Council. 
It's totally normal to be constipated with belly pain, straining, and bloating again and again. No way. Maybe it's occasional constipation. Maybe it's not. You could have a chronic condition called irritable bowel syndrome with constipation, or IBSC. Linzess, or linaclotide, is a prescription that treats IBSC in adults. Linzess works differently than laxatives to help relieve belly pain and let you have more frequent and complete bowel movements. Individual results may vary. Do not give to children less than six, and it should not be given to children six to less than 18. It may harm them. Do not take Linzess if you have a bowel blockage. Get immediate help if you develop unusual or severe stomach pain, especially with bloody or black stools. The most common side effect is diarrhea, sometimes severe. If it's severe, stop taking Linzess and call your doctor right away. Other side effects include gas, stomach area pain, and swelling. Maybe it's not occasional constipation. Learn more at linzess.com or call 1-800-L-I-N-Z-E-S-S. You may be able to talk to a doctor online. Visit linzess.com, sponsored by Allergan and Ironwood. Asthma symptoms can attack anywhere, like on a city street. (coughs) Now you can get fast relief anywhere with new improved Primatine Mist, the only FDA-approved asthma inhaler available over the counter. So whether you need relief on symptoms at the park or at your kitchen table... Primatine Mist starts working quickly, opening up your airways to restore free breathing. (sighs) For temporary relief of mild symptoms of intermittent asthma, use Primatine Mist and breathe easy again. Available at CVS, Rite Aid, and Walgreens. Use as directed. A social distancing tip. Keeping your distance from others is important in slowing the spread of coronavirus. So here are some fun things to do alone. Read a book. Take a walk. Unpack your suitcase from that trip you took last September. Paint a self-portrait. Catch up on a TV series. Do a puzzle. Remember, we should all stay home to lower the risk for everyone. For more info, visit coronavirus.gov. Let's all do our part, because we're all hashtag alone together. Brought to you by the Ad Council. Do you have constipation with belly pain, straining, and bloating that keeps coming back? Take the five-question gut check to see if it could be more than occasional constipation. It could be irritable bowel syndrome with constipation, or IBSC. Linzess, or linaclotide, is a prescription medication that treats IBSC in adults. Linzess is not a laxative. It works differently. Linzess helps relieve belly pain and lets you have more frequent and complete bowel movements. Individual results may vary. Do not give to children less than 6, and it should not be given to children 6 to less than 18. It may harm them. Do not take Linzess if you have a bowel blockage. Get immediate help if you develop unusual or severe stomach pain, especially with bloody or black stools. The most common side effect is diarrhea, sometimes severe. If it's severe, stop taking Linzess and call your doctor right away. Other side effects include gas, stomach area pain, and swelling. Talk to your doctor about whether Linzess is right for you. Go to linzess.com to take the five-question gut check. That's L-I-N-Z-E-S-S dot com or call 1-800-LINZESS. Welcome back to Longhorn Blitz with Horns247.com. Here again is Jeff Howe. Matt, thanks for everything, man. You're more than welcome. Rod B., appreciate the time and the knowledge. Anytime, brother. Anytime. For Matt, for Rod, for everybody at the Austin Radio Network and the Horn, 1049 1019 AM 1260, streaming on the Horn app and hornfm.com. You can get Rod B., on the triple option each and every afternoon from 3 to 7. Chambers plug. You can also get me and Craig White each and every day on Light the Tower from 10 to noon. And thanks to Matt, you can get all of our archives, our classic interviews on the Longhorn Blitz SoundCloud page. Yep, just type in Longhorn Blitz. Don't forget to search Horns 24-7 Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify. Search Horns 24-7 Podcast. You get us, State of Recruiting, and the flagship just by searching Horns 24-7 Podcast. For the Horn family, for the Horns 24-7 family, I'm Jeff Howe. Thank you so much for downloading and listening, and we will catch you again on the next episode. You've been listening to Longhorn Blitz with Horns247.com. Remember, for the latest Longhorn news 24-7, visit Horns247.com. My mother was very familiar with her neighborhood, but one day she stopped at the stop sign, and she wasn't even really sure where she was at. When something feels different, it could be Alzheimer's. Now is the time to talk. A message from the Alzheimer's Association and the Ad Council.